Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi guys, welcome back to Not Basic Blonde podcast and this episode is very interesting because my guest is psychologist and sex therapist Dr. Kate Balasheri and because May is mental health awareness month, we are discussing so many issues like mental health issues, sex, relationships, dating and so much more. So tune in guys. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Olya. I can't wait to talk with you. This is going to be fun. Thank you. I'm so glad. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm fine, thank you. Sure. Well, let's just start. Uh, would you please tell our listeners about yourself? Sure, sure. I'm a, uh, my name is Dr. Kate Balistrieri. I'm a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist I'm a certified sex therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist, and a packed trained couples therapist. So I've been working in this field for, gosh, almost 15 years now, really treating all different kinds of trauma and understanding how that impacts people's lives, whether it shows up in their relationships, in their relationship to sex, or any kind of addictive behaviors or other kind of disruptive behaviors in their world. Wow, that's amazing. How did you decide to become a psychologist and sex therapist? You know, this this is a second career for me. I was originally in the health insurance world, and as rewarding as that was, I just felt like I wanted more connection to the human experience. So I decided to go back to school and originally studied forensic psychology for a long time, and I worked in the prison systems. And I think what really drew me into this work was trying to understand what makes people do the really lovely benevolent things that we can do and then what makes people do the really awful horrific and malevolent things so i i just really wanted to understand human behavior wow that's nice yeah human behavior is very complicated because <laughs> we're all different and we all have our good sides and bad sides and different characteristics so what is Absolutely. the common issue most of the couples experiencing right now? Right now because of the coronavirus? Um, I guess because, yeah, mostly everyone is at mm -hmm. home and close to each other. Well, I think what I'm seeing right now is that couples are experiencing this really unique opportunity to kind of be with each other for all of these different aspects of life that they're not usually around each other for. So what I mean by that is they're having to work from home, share space at home, you know, plan every meal together for the most part. And 
they're really getting to see a lot of different layers of each other that maybe they miss during the day because they're at work or they're taking care of the kids or they're running around doing this or that. And so they, they have this really unique gift of time. And for some couples, it's really allowing them to kind of remember what they love about each other and double down on that and really focus on getting to know each other again. And for other couples who maybe are faced with some bigger external stressors, you know, maybe they've lost their, one of them has lost their job or one of them or a family member has become ill. They're really sort of sweating it out together in a, in a way that they may not have planned for just yet. And so some couples are really rising to the occasion with these stressors and other couples are seeing maybe some holes in their relationships that they weren't paying attention to before. Yeah. Is it true that there is more domestic violence right now going on? Yes, that is definitely um, a statistic that is has been validated time and time again whenever we have um, cultural moments of high intensity and fear helplessness and powerlessness, all of these kind of collective issues that we're experiencing uh, in and of themselves can increase the risk of domestic violence. So when we have things like forced isolation because we're trying to stay safe as a community, what happens is people limit their exposure to the outside world even more and then their access to things that might help them regulate themselves more effectively just aren't there. You know, people aren't able to go out and exercise as regularly. They can't go out and blow off steam with their friends. You know, we're, we're really seeing a lot of, you know, what's the word I want to use? It's, it's sort of the perfect storm of all of the risk factors that lead people to feeling helpless. You know, they don't have as many resources. They don't know when this is going to end. They don't know how to get help. They're feeling really scared and uncertain. And those kinds of things bring out a very primitive nature in people. And, and it can activate old traumas. And that can lead to a lot more dysregulation, which can, of course, lead to violence. Also, I noticed that nowadays, so many men have fear of marriage, like especially us millennials. And is it connected to anything? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing with the millennial generation is that it's really, really difficult to adult. And so I think that has created a lot of additional pressure for men and for women. But especially when men who really align with more traditional gender roles think about what it might be like for them to have to step into the role of a husband, a partner, a father, it can be really scary to think about how they do that when it's difficult to just get a job that will be financially sustaining for them. And then it's much more difficult for people to afford real estate now. So I think that's a big contributing factor to why we're seeing less people getting married. I also think we're seeing a shift in gender role norms and everybody is sort of adjusting to what that means to them. And we're, we're seeing a lot of kind of polar, uh, polarities in terms of people accepting the shifts in gender roles and then some people being more resistant to it, kind of depending on what their tie is to how they see themselves as a man, a woman, or someone on the non-binary spectrum. And I think we just have a lot of cloudiness about what does it even mean to be a human in this day and age? So what do we do with that? Why do we need to get married? 
Yeah, and even talking more about marriage, is it healthy to stay in just a long relationship without marriage, especially for women? Because you need that security. And if you just live with somebody for so many years, you're still not a wife and you're really not a girlfriend because you can't really say somebody, oh, it's just my boyfriend, but you've been with him like so many years. And it's mm-hmm. just, you can't say life partner because then they're going to think you are maybe um lesbian or something (laughs) so it's like what do you think about that well I think every couple needs to define a relationship for themselves and and all too often I think people get really wrapped up in these labels of what it means to be a wife or a husband a mother a father a career person or not and we we get a little too attached to what that means about us. But what I would say is that if you're happy in your relationship and you feel safe, secure, satisfied in your relationship, marriage might be something that you consider, but it might also be something that you don't consider. And if it's okay for everybody in the relationship, then I think it's okay. But if one person wants to get married and one person doesn't, well, that's going to be a conflict that causes some ripples for sure. I have so many girlfriends that actually are not married. They just live together with their boyfriends. And they're like, well, we need this moment to actually feel it and have the wedding ceremony and such a beautiful moment. But I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, husband and wife, but it's just like not happening because everyone is okay with the lifestyle just living together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, I would say if it's not a problem for them, it's not a problem. But people get really, really stuck in what do other people think of me doing this life the way I want to or the way I'm doing it right now. So again, it really comes down to what does marriage mean to you? And are there other ways to cultivate that in your relationship if your partner doesn't want to get married? You know, for some people, it's about security. For some people, it's about worthiness, right? They don't, they think that if they're not married, it's because they're not good enough for something. And that's a big myth, that I want to just blow open because, you know, marriage is about making a commitment and we can do that with or without the piece of paper. But if there are fears about what's happening in a relationship without a marriage, I would suspect that those fears will still be there after the marriage is officiated as well, because it really represents some sort of lack of safety or trust in the relationship. I'm glad you clarified because, yeah, I'm not good enough. That's the main reason. Like, mm-hmm. girls think right away. Yeah, a lot of women feel that way because women have been socialized to define their worth by whether or not they are in a partnership and with whom they're in a partnership. But yeah. That's an outdated way of thinking. Yeah. And is it true that our partners mirroring us? What do you mean by mirroring? Like, you know, there is a saying, there is some psychological theories that we find and we attract people like the same as we are and our partners show us like all our sides. Mm -hmm. Like, is it true? Yes, in, in some ways. So what happens is when we are very young, the the way that our earliest relationships show up in our lives. So if we have parents that are really caring, really loving, very affectionate, respect our boundaries, things like that, we're going to pick people who mimic that in our adult life. So if we have parents who are maybe more emotionally neglectful or they've got other things going on and they can't pay attention to us or they're invalidating to us, 
our body starts to learn that that's what love feels like. And so we tend to pick out partners who, who mimic that kind of experience. And so in some ways, our partner mirrors us in the sense that we pick partners that often allow us to kind of play out things that feel familiar. But also relationships serve as a mirror for people because when you're in a relationship, if you're paying attention, you get to see how you show up and all of your own kind of quirks and flaws and strengths. And, you know, it's a really great opportunity to learn more about who you are because, you know, if you're really being intimate with someone, you're going to see all of that stuff show up. What do you usually do in the case when you had unsuccessful relationships and you had some kind of pattern? Like, how do you break that pattern? That's a great question. And I would say that it comes with really getting real about what's been going on, how you may have been unconsciously benefiting from some of those patterns. And I don't even mean benefiting in a good way, but what might you have been getting out of it? So for example, some people find themselves in relationships with multiple partners who cheat on them, right? And they want to understand, why do I always pick these partners? And so when we really dig down deep, what starts to become very apparent is how they're not very present in their world and they sometimes don't evidence a lot of self-worth. So they might notice that something feels off or they might you know, pick a partner who is insistent on gaslighting them, for example, but they, for whatever reason, don't yet know their own power and don't speak up because they feel like they can't or they shouldn't or they're playing out an old psychodrama from their childhood. And so we start to really look at where do you have an opportunity to know yourself better so that you can make different choices moving forward and recognize when things feel familiar in a good way or a not so good way. I see. Like, for example, I had guys who like were party boys and mm -hmm. they always like to party and everything, but they wouldn't, I wouldn't have like serious, serious relationship. Like I wouldn't live with anybody. Okay. And the first one I was, and I'm kind of living with, it's um, afraid of marriage too. So <laughs> it's kind of party boy too in mm -hmm. some way he was so I got this pattern all the time mm -hmm. and that's why now when I turned 30 I starting to like work on myself and trying to read so many self-development books and you know take courses so I don't make any more mistakes in life <laughs> yeah well I mean to, to that point you'll probably make lots more mistakes in life because you're human and that's what we all do. So try not to beat yourself up too much if, you, if you're not perfect. But, um, you know, we, we all have a chance to learn something and that's kind of the great way that relationships can be a mirror for us because every time we are in a relationship or in a situationship or in a situation that we want to be something and never turns into something, it's a great opportunity to say, okay, what do I really want here? What's my fantasy? And what is actually happening in reality? Where are there discrepancies? Why am I okay with those discrepancies if I am? And why am I not okay with them if I'm not? And what do I want to look for differently in future partners' behavior to make sure that 
in fact, they are somebody who shares my values, who shares my mission, who shares my desires in life. If getting married is something that's really important to someone, there are lots of other people out there who do want to get married, but they might not show up in the same package that you've been, you know, picking up and putting down many, many times over the last several years. And sometimes we have to think about what are we willing to let go of in our fantasy in order to make room for something else. Yeah, that's true. I love this one. <laughs> <laughs> and is it true that lack of sex affects mental health? That is such a great question. Um, you know, I would say that the level of truth for that really depends on someone's relationship to sex. So for some people, they really don't have much interest in being sexual. And so an absence of sex really isn't going to cause a lot of distress for them. In fact, if they were more sexual, they might feel a lot more distress. Um, but for some people who you know, do place um, a higher priority on sex, then of course a lack of it is going to potentially result in changes in their mental health that might result in anxiety or depression. It might evoke some fear or shame or questions of worth. Um, but again, it really kind of depends on what each person's relationship is to sex. Yeah, I see. And I know so many women and I've had friends who complain to me a lot, mostly like the worst of your self-worth comes with it. So that's why when you, you know, your partner doesn't give you enough or something, it feels like for them that they don't love them more. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't love them enough. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, I think so often we really conflate sex with love and connection and that's, that's something to definitely have a look at because, you know, human beings are definitely hardwired to be in relationships. What those relationships looks like can be defined by each human differently. But oftentimes, you know, a big part of how we connect is through sex or through physical touch. And that's a normal human need. So if it's missing, it can almost trigger these kind of existential threats to our survival. You know, if my partner doesn't love me, am I going to get through the day? Will I even survive? So it can, it can definitely evoke a lot of fear and um, disconnection, loneliness, when people aren't able to be as sexual as they would like with their partner. Yeah. And so before I had this um, podcast episode with you, I asked mm -hmm. around and some people asked me, to ask you a question, what if a sure. partner rejects you and um, he just refuses to have sex? Like he's trying to punish you through that mm. because he knows like you really want it. So how does it work? Like what are his issues in this? <laughs> That's such a good question. <laughs> um, you know, when anybody uses sex as a weapon, then it, it definitely um, underlies a lot of difficulties they have in communicating their wants and needs directly. And when somebody, you know, withholds sex, male or female, um, as a way to punish their partner, that's, that's a pretty um, manipulative and toxic strategy to try to get their needs met. And I, I don't know what their needs might be, but I'm guessing they want to feel some kind of control or power. And that's the only way they know how to get it. So, 
you know, when that happens in a relationship, it's really, I think, important for each person to, to be willing, if they are willing, to sit down and say, hey, I really feel rejected right now. I really feel scared right now. And, and I wonder kind of like what your needs are, what my needs are, and can we talk about this in a more effective and direct way? Yeah, I guess power and manipulation, these are the most, I guess, mm -hmm. important ones they're trying to prove. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes it is definitely related to power. Yeah. And should only single ladies use vibrators or is it okay to use it if you have a partner? But then on the other hand, if you have a partner that doesn't satisfy you, why do you need to keep the partner? <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> That's assuming that we only want men around for their their sexual prowess, which is not usually the case. That sex is usually the cherry on top in a relationship that's really healthy and based on mutuality. Um, but let's talk about vibrators first. So I think every person has to define their relationship to masturbation for themselves first and foremost, and then talk with their partner about are they okay you know, does it bring up any insecurities? Because um, for some people, it, it might feel really threatening if their partner is using a vibrator and not being sexual with them. For some partners, they might say, hey, masturbate all you want, have a blast, but don't forget to have sex with me too, right? So if they have a thriving sex life, it's really kind of a non-issue. And for other people, they might say, wow, I want to be a part of that too. Let's play together. Where's your toy? And so it can be really exciting for couples to incorporate vibrators into their sex play together. And I think, you know, if you have a partner who you're not satisfied with in bed, it's a really, really important thing to talk about what could work for you in bed. What could they do differently? What do you like? And to really be respectful that when we're being sexual with someone, this is a really vulnerable act. And it's important not to shame people, you know, if they don't know exactly what you like or how you like it, because most likely they're doing their best. And if they're not, well, then maybe you kick them to the curb. But if they are doing their best, you know, work with them, teach them what you like, let it be something that brings you together instead of separates you. Yeah, that's true. I love this answer. <laughs> <laughs> And how do you recognize mental health issues and when is the right time to ask for help? Oh, this is a great question because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. And people, I think, can recognize mental health issues in a couple of different ways. Um, first, one of the things that I think goes wildly unrecognized is the way that mental health conditions can show up in physical symptoms. So, you know, people always think about mental health being related to emotions, and that's true, but our emotions also live in our bodies. And so people might pay attention to what's happening in their body. Are they getting sick a lot? Are they getting infections a lot? Are they always tired? Um, do they notice any stiffness or tension in their bodies, particularly around the areas of the shoulder and the neck? Because many times when people feel anxious or overwhelmed, they tend to raise their shoulders and kind of go into a self-protective body state. And that bracing can lead to a lot of tension, muscle soreness, things like that. So start paying attention to what's going on in your body. Do you notice that when you're in certain contexts, like if you go to work and you don't like your job, do you notice that you start coughing a lot when you're there, but you don't cough at all when you're home? 
Now, it could be related to other environmental stressors, like maybe the air filtration system isn't that great at work, but oftentimes our body is telling us long before we ever catch up in our cognitive mind whether we're stressed out or whether we're okay. So that would be one way I would say people can really start to think about if their mental health needs a tune-up. And then otherwise, you know, look for things like rapidly changing moods or a difficulty redirecting your emotional state. So it's pretty normal for people to have, you know, moments of anxiety, moments of sadness, even moments of slight dysthymia, which is sort of like between sadness and depression, and and then to come back from it. But if it starts getting really difficult to redirect your mood in a way that it feels autonomous and productive, then it might be time to ask for help. And definitely, you know, if you're someone who's experienced any kind of a trauma, if you are noticing big mood swings or avoidance of anything that reminds you of the traumatic situation or intrusive thoughts, memories, dreams, or nightmares, you know, those kinds of things, those are big cues that there's some unresolved trauma living in your mind and body And that's a great time to ask for help. Um, But one of the things that I really want to touch base on here is any kind of feelings of hopelessness, right? Because oftentimes when we get into this state of feeling that life is hopeless or there's no use in trying anymore, that's that's, uh, on the rapid on a rapid expressway down to self-harm or suicide. And it's really important to check in with the people that you love if they start speaking with hopelessness cues. Um, And if you yourself are experiencing that kind of uh, feeling, definitely a good time to reach out because tomorrow is always a different day. And, you know, there's always another opportunity for help and resources and a chance to feel differently. Also, I heard a saying that all the chronic pains come from mental health issues. And what do you think about that? Is it true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when people experience a lot of trauma. And sometimes they can be really kind of big traumatic events. But, you know, when we think about trauma, it often shows up in these kind of little T events, right? So moments where you feel not attuned to in your relationship, or you're living with um, mistrust issues, or not feeling like your relationship is going to be okay. All of those little kinds of traumas, we call them little T traumas, can kind of build up in the body and create, um, uh, you know, discomfort and a susceptibility to pain. Yeah, I think so as well. And what do you think, what is the best strategy of dealing with anxiety and panic attacks? Great question. You know, for anxiety and panic attacks, it's really important to try to recognize what the arc of your anxiety looks like long before it gets to that acute state where you might be having a panic attack so that you can practice different kinds of grounding and resourcing ahead of time. Now, if you find yourself in a panic attack, because sometimes they happen pretty fast and we don't always recognize our zero to 60 um, until we're at 60, And so in those moments, you can try different kinds of breathing techniques and holding your breath and things of that nature to kind of redirect the physiology in your body and get your breathing to return to normal. But, you know, sometimes it's hard. Like I suffered two years ago with terrible panic attacks 
that I had to start antidepressants, mm-hmm. which I never was depressed and I'm not. I just had anxiety. And because they say that anxiety is one of the symptoms of depression, then you mm-hmm. have to take antidepressants. But when I had panic attacks, like I thought it was the end of the world. I mean, at that time, it's, it seems like that. But yeah, breathing really helps me when you kind of like, you know, breathe in with one nostril and yeah. breathe out your mouth and then do it on the other side. That's mm-hmm. what helped me. That's great. Yeah. Any kind of bilateral breathing like that is a really good idea. Tapping can sometimes help in a bilateral way. So when I say bilateral, I mean impacting the the left side and the right side of your body in alternating um, taps. So you can do this by tapping on your legs or on the sides of your arms and just kind of go tap, 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 and alternate on the sides of your body. And that can produce a very regulating response because it increases the communication between your right brain and your left brain. And it gives your body something else to focus on in terms of how to direct its energy. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I never heard about tapping. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And what do you think about antidepressants? Like how long you should take them for and how long is it healthy to take them for? That's a great question, but I'm a psychologist and not a psychiatrist. So I really can't speak about medication. It would be outside the scope of my practice. But what what I would say is that if you find yourself feeling really stuck in therapy or stuck in life and nothing else is happening, Medication can be a really nice bridge to get you from where you want to, from where you are to where you want to be. And you should absolutely consult with a psychiatrist to find out how long that bridge might last and how to appropriately titrate onto the medication and come off the medication so that you make sure to really get as much benefit as is possible without, you know, overlooking the, the desire to come off them safely when you're ready to. Oh, I see. What are the best approaches to keep your mental health in check during coronavirus pandemic? Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, one of the things that I would like everyone to remember is that we're in a pandemic. And so there is some level of distress that is normal. And if you didn't have some kind of distress, it might be an indication that either you're very fortunate in life, which there are some people who are, and and they are not impacted by this. But really, if you weren't just feeling some kind of distress, it might indicate to me that you don't really have a, a strong grasp on how you may be being impacted. And that could be protective, um, for you as well. But it's, it's normal to feel some, you know, oscillating in your mood and, for one day to feel okay and for the next day to feel really overwhelmed or sad or angry because there is no rule book for this. We don't have any guidelines on how to handle pandemics as a, as a collective human, you know, species. It's just kind of like we, we have to endure it and go as we go the best as we can day by day. So I say all of that to say the first thing is to give yourself permission to feel the different feelings that come up and try not to shame yourself or push yourself into stuffing feelings down because they'll come back to bite you later. Um, The next thing I would recommend is that people try to stay as connected to others as they can. That's difficult, obviously, when we can't physically be in the same space with the people we care about. 
but utilize video platforms. Um, if you're going to do social events, you know, do them social distancing, bring your own picnic and everyone sit six or 10 feet away from each other at the park. If you can, you know, just try to get some connection with each other and, and stay immersed in the things that do bring you joy and are available. So if you've been wanting to try a new hobby or teach yourself the guitar or write that novel, you know, now's a great time to get focused on those kinds of things and really enrich your kind of internal hobby life to the extent that you can focus on it. And if you feel like all you're really up for is watching Netflix for a whole weekend, you know, that can be okay too. Nice. <laughs> but <laughs> one, thing, one thing that can help, and this is kind of a, a silly, simple thing, but it's really easy when we're home to get super, super lazy. And sometimes it can be helpful to just take a shower and do all the kind of um, getting ready that you might do if you were going to go out and just give yourself the chance to kind of get back into that groove and make sure that you, you know, still can connect to that part of yourself and just showering and blow drying your hair, doing your makeup for some people can be enough to have them feeling a little bit more like themselves again. And, you know, that can feel really nice. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you, like your social handles and all your information? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so my new website is modernintimacy.com. And people can find me on Instagram at the modern intimacy or at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. That's B-A-L-E-S-T-R-I-E-R-I. And I would love to connect with you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate. It was such a pleasure for me and honor. Oh, thank you. This was so lovely. It was so nice to talk with you. And I really appreciate the invitation to be on your show. Thank you. That was all for today, guys. I appreciate your time. And you can always share with me your story or DM me on Instagram. It's not basic blonde underscore or NBB podcast. And I will see you guys at the same place, the same time next week. Thank you so much for listening. Not basic blonde podcast. Have a great day. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.